Hello, Sam. Simon. Hello, buddy. Um, I'm very over lockdown, Sam. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. It's only day 7,932. I mean, how could you be over it? It's been too long. And I would like to go outside now and see my friends. Mm, I miss friends. You know, um, The Good Place, uh, there's that character, Mindy St. Clair, who's in the medium place. And she just spends her whole day staring out the window, talking wistfully about how good cocaine was. That's my life right now. (laughs) No, I don't because I haven't actually ever watched The Good Place. But um, sounds relatable. Very relatable. Not the cocaine, but... Yeah, just Mm. just with friends, right? Just staring out the window going like, remember friends... Remember restaurants. Friends are my cocaine. <laughs> but we get anyway, on the internet, which is nice. Yeah, it's interesting because you you moved to another country, which is very rude, and <clears throat> you know, we need to talk about that more. But <laughs> I and then and then lockdown happened and the only way I could speak to anybody was on the internet. And so my brain knew like intellectually Sam has moved to another country. But the animal had not caught up with the reality yet. And now, over the last week, I've been like, shit, Sam lives in the UK now. She's on the Muddy Isle. I know. It's really, really weird. I mean, I don't. That's cuck. It's really cuck. I know. Uh, To be honest, I don't feel like I've moved to the UK. I feel like I have moved to the internet because I. (laughs) Like, it's very weird to move to another country and then never be allowed to go into it. Ever. <laughs> you you've moved to a WeWork cubicle, um, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. Super weird. It's going to be very weird when the lockdown eases, and then I suddenly realize that I have moved to the other side of the world. That is going to be very weird. But right now, it's mm. fine. I just hang out with all my friends, and nothing has changed. Well, you know, your prime minister will probably become reinfected, and then we'll rinse and repeat. Yeah, what a fucktard, uh, Simon. Um, mm-hmm. before we get drawn into a conversation about politics, which we, you know, it's boring because we all, all are aligned that politicians are the worst. Um, mm-hmm. I have a confession to make, which is something that I have to tell you, which is oh that I think I'm becoming a doomsday prepper <laughs> and you might need to stage an intervention. <laughs> well, I don't know how I'm going to stage an intervention through the internet, but I'll, I'll give it a go. Okay, so tell me about this doomsday prepping. Sorry, I mean, you know, let me just recover first. I thought you were going to tell me you were podcasting with someone else. (laughs) Oh, gasp! Gasp. (laughs) No, so it started innocently enough a few weeks ago when you know, because we are currently living through a global emergency, I was like, you know, I wonder how well the actual doomsday preppers did preparing for pandemics. You know, because it's a bit, Mm -hmm. it's a bit rude of them to have been right about a global pandemic. And I wonder what are the things that we should have all done with 2020 hindsight to prepare for this. So Mm -hmm. I ended up down this rabbit hole reading all the prepper blogs and that's how they get you because Mm -hmm. the weird thing is they're like surprisingly rational on some of them. And I specifically found this one blog that I've gotten super into called The Prepared. Um, And it's just filled with really interesting articles like, how to apply a tourniquet, tourniquets, tourniquet. Uh, I think what, it's tourniquet. Tourniquet, what supplies you should have in a bug out bag and all of these things. And I mean, it's kind of Sam crack 
One, because it's a, it's a wonderful bomb to my general sense of anxiety and lack of control right now is like, cool, let me prepare for other future emergencies. And the second thing is, dude, these guys are so into spreadsheets. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sounds like, sounds like heaven for Sam. I know. So I have a new, <laughs> a new spreadsheet, which tab one, uh, supplies that I need to put in my bug out bag. Tab two, medicines that I need to have in my uh -huh. medicine cabinet. And so okay, what need to Firstly, what, what is a bug out bag? The bug out bag is the bag that you have by the door that has all of the things inside that you need in case your house burns down ah. or there's a hurricane or something and you need to evacuate your house at a moment's notice. Mm. So it I call that a go bag. A go bag, exactly. Yeah, firearm, money, jacket. Cocaine. Um, tong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, so, so... So what's in your bug bag, Sam? Well, I mean, the... One thing is it's kind of difficult to assemble these things right now because I also can't go to the shop. So at the mm -hmm. moment, I'm just making the spreadsheets for the things that I will buy and prepare when I can. I mean, the one okay. thing is to have copies of the documents that are important in your life because, you know, mm -hmm. you don't want to leave and then not have your passport. Um, a top. And boy, oh boy, did I go down a rabbit hole researching the best top Hollands. <laughs> of course. You know, I mean, it's very ridiculous. This is why I say, like, I think you might actually need to stage an intervention. I think the preppers have got mm -hmm. me, Simon. Mm. Is there a weapon in your bug bag? No. You should probably think about that. I don't know. I'm a, I'm more of the school of thought that in an emergency, you should probably befriend your neighbors, not shoot them. No, I'm 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 a kill your neighbor person in in a <laughs> state of emergency. Okay, because it's every monkey for yourself in the jungle, and you know it's uh, eat or be eaten, man. Simon, do you have any form of go bag? I don't. Um, but now you know. Now that we're discussing it, I'm thinking that this is something that is sorely you know. There's 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 something missing from the picture here. What would um, be in your go bag if you did have one? Definitely cash. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely a firearm. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what else could one possibly need? Like, uh, you know, maybe a warm jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else you can obtain by pointing said firearm at people. <laughs> yeah. Jesus yeah. I, I, I need to think about this more. You know, maybe some baggies, maybe some rubber bands. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like this isn't a go bag so much as a bag that you're going to take to do crimes. Mm. Like this is your some of those. Uh, what do they call them? So, so Radio Lab recently had an uh, episode called Atomic Artifacts, uh, mm -hmm. which is about bunkers, atomic bunkers in in the US, and the kind of things you'd find in them. Mm. And this uh, particular kind of largely flavorless biscuit that was developed that could, like, you know, <laughs> withstand six decades on the shelf um, and provide mm. a human being with just enough nutrients to keep it alive and fighting. Um, so, so maybe something like that, or you know, as mm. I said, Bolton. like dwarven bread from Terry Pratchett. Mm. Yeah, just last mm. ever. You can pee on it. You can drop it from a high place. Indestructible food. Yeah, like there's the go bag scenario of I'm in real trouble right now and I need to go to another place. Uh -huh. um, in which case, something like a passport is probably important. And then there's the go bag scenario, which I think is closer to what you're describing with your bug bag, which is like. 
uh, every monkey for themselves. Crossing a border is not going to be helpful with a passport. A gun is probably more helpful in that scenario. Yes. Um, that's that's a whole different that's a whole different uh, you know set of conundrums too. I mean, that's kind of what's been a really fun intellectual exercise about this all as well is trying to think how do you take the fewest number of things that equip you for the maximum number of circumstances because there is a real tangible limit to how much stuff you want in your your go bag, right? Because you need to also mm. be able to carry it. Um, and you don't know if the flavor of emergency that you're going to be facing is your house is burning down or uh, zombies or hurricane or, you know, there's like a whole number of different things it could be that you would mm. all kind mm. of want different things for. So this is why something like a tarp is really interesting because a tarp is really useful if you have to go and like live in the wilderness for a while, which seems unlikely, but it's also very, very useful if you are taken to like an emergency hurricane shelter, because you can use it for privacy, you can use it for warmth, you can use it to keep yourself dry. Like it just is a very multi-purpose device. And that's mm. kind of the, what the preppers say is a good, a good mindset for the bug bag, the bug out bag is like take it. things that are multi-purpose so have one really good little pocket knife because you that'll be useful in a lot of situations including zombies mm, mm. yeah yeah i mean you know the hitchhiker's guide was also uh, also put a lot of thought clearly douglas adams into into his recommendation of a towel um and always knowing where your towel is exactly so i feel like if 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 for no other reason than sentimentality i'd have to have a towel in there um <laughs> And I feel like I'd bring my lucky D20, you know? Yeah. If, if, fuck, it takes up like, you know, three square centimeters, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's useful for so many things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Important. Very, very important. Mm. What else have you okay. been thinking about, Simon? Nothing, Sam. Nothing. <laughs> I've been thinking about how fucking bored I am and playing World of Warcraft while I should be working and being in meetings with very frustrating other human beings. Hey, um, one of those other human beings is often me. Yeah, no, present company excluded. Like, you know, when whenever I dip into Lettuce World, which is our company, then I'm very happy. Mm. Our other companies that you are less involved with on a day-to-day basis <laughs> can be crazy making at times. Yes. Um, but they keep me they keep me plenty busy. I guess I've been thinking about like how long this lasts for and this notion that seems to just be part of the narrative now and a given to most people that there's a new normal that we just have to adjust to. Mm. Um and I'm like, fuck that, man. Like, you know, this is a mountain I'm willing to die on mm. or a hill. Like, I, you know, it's, this is not the new normal. I am not going to accept that our president thinks the days of hugs are over. Handshakes, whatever. Handshakes are bullshit to begin with. Fine. I'm not, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not letting go of hugs, man. That's, like, that's not a world I want to be alive in. Mm. Um, this whole idea of the new normal, like, it might be precipitated by, by a real pandemic, but no. Not the yeah. dress rehearsal, because I still think this is what this this is. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting, right? Because this is something that's been very relevant to me in quite a, an immediate way, because we're busy house hunting at the moment. Um, so when we moved to the UK, we obviously moved into like a temporary little, little housey, because, you know, in an area we knew we didn't want to live in, but it was fine because we just wanted to settle in, find our feet, and then find a long-term place. Um, and we're currently looking for a long-term place. And it's very difficult to decide what kind of place to look for if you have no sense of is 
the way that we're living now going to last another month or is it going to last another mm. few years? And I've been seeing a lot of people who live in these really cute little sort of London flats or middle of Cape Town flats or New York flats um, who, you know, when the world is normal, that's that's a great way to live. But right now it's just not great. And I've seen a lot of people talking about like, you know, we're thinking about moving to a small village in the countryside where you can mm. have a lot of space because if that is your entire world, um, then that is probably what you want. And that's that's kind of a very immediate decision that we're trying to make. Like we're looking at all these tiny little villages that look like the Shire um, and that's cute, but that's not really my jam normally. Mm -hmm. Like normally I want to be in the middle of things. I guess the reason I'm so scared of the discussion is because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of hyper aware of the fact that human beings are able to normalize anything. Yeah, and on on the one hand, you've got hedonic adaptation, and you know things losing their their value with overexposure, mm. and on the the flip side of that coin, you know, because there's an obvious like you know evolutionary advantage to us normalizing cuck situations so mm. that we can survive and procreate, um, but but on the other side of that coin, there's just like things becoming normal and how you almost choose them. You know, it's like. Yeah. You, you live an hour away from the new job and commuting for two hours every day sounds like a living hell, but you do it anyway, thinking mm. that this is something you'll do for now and it'll change. Yeah. But by day 800, like this is just your routine now. You wake up, mm -hmm. you get dressed, you sit in an hour of traffic and then you do the same in reverse, you know, eight hours later. Yeah. And now this is your normal, you know, the, the animal has adapted. You're okay with this. And it's not something that perhaps you should be okay with. And yeah. no, you know, I'm not disparaging people who commute for two hours every day. That's fine. Like I might actually enjoy it because I'd have more time for listening to podcasts and I enjoy driving. So yeah. it's just, a, it's a bad example Freak. perhaps. But <laughs> but like I think about the things that I'm accepting because I, it feels like I need to do this now. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck, I really don't want to do this, but you know, I have to for now. Yeah. It'll change, but no, you know, you're accepting something into your daily routine yeah. that you will normalize and yeah. that mentally you will accommodate mm. and that will become the way you live. And, totally. yeah. and so like on the one side of the global pandemic, <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy about some of the things that are changing. Like, I think, you know, we're really starting to have discussions around homelessness that I'm finding are quite promising. Yeah. Um, we're having discussions about universal basic income, mm. about the environment, about the necessity for travel. Mm. Bad businesses are folding that that frankly, you know, deserve to die and would have, um, regardless of a pandemic, they just cost needed something to spark it. Yeah. yeah, but but so so on the one hand, like there's a lot. We now have the opportunity to bring a lot of things into daily life that we should have perhaps done a long time ago and make them normal. Mm. And and give society time to kind of imbibe and, and get its head around this stuff. On the other hand, a lot of very bad ideas are entering daily life because of overreaction, security, theater, you know, mm. whatever, um, mm. that I'm very scared of us normalizing. Like, yeah. you know, going, going grocery shopping right now is gross. Um, yeah. And while, you know, grocery shopping <laughs> left a lot to be desired in the old world, <laughs> like this is not a better like everything yeah. about it is worse now, you well, know, it's like the, um, the but it's going to become normal. Yeah. It's a bit like the Patriot Act stuff in America after 9-11, right? Like the world never got, went back from the invasiveness of government surveillance that was introduced in the name of national security in that emergency. 
Like it never went exactly. back to a world where that wasn't okay. Um, so that, that yeah. definitely is a worry, right? That, you know, governments hmm. become more authoritarian. And I think especially in places like South Africa and India, where that is always a worry to begin with, um, or Brazil, or, you know, it's, it, it, it is, mm, it's, it's weird mm. to think about how the impact that these things have and how those impacts don't just go away. Yeah. It's like the ticker on nine on uh, CNN after nine 11, you know, like yeah. for the first, for the first time in broadcast news history, there was more news than they could accommodate in, in the normal daily cycle. Yeah. And so CNN introduced the ticker of news just flying past the bottom of your screen so they could keep up with the information overload. Mm. But you know, the world moved on from nine 11 uh, besides for the U.S. staying on Amber Alert since then for the last 20 years, which is bananas. Mm. Um, but the ticket didn't go away. CNN is still flashing news across the bottom of your screen as if we're having a 9-11 every day. Mm. Um, like that became normal and it's fucked and it's not okay. Yeah. And we have the idea now that things that are on the news might happen to us because they're so commonplace, whereas the things on the news are the things you don't have to worry about. They're on the news because they never happen. <laughs> like you should be worrying about heart disease because that happens all the time to most people at a certain stage in their life. Or but like you're not worried about heart disease, you're worried about terrorism, yeah. which is less likely to happen to you than in slipping in the bath and dying. Yeah, exactly. It's because um, it's novel. <laughs> Yeah, but like, you know, now in the age of COVID, uh, this is, you know, this has just taken on a whole new level. Like, yeah. you know, I've, CNN literally is occupying every pixel of your television screen with news that's perhaps not so important. I really like the kind of the deeper philosophical point you're making as well, though, which is that, you know, one of the magical things about human brains is that we are incredibly adaptive. You know, we adapt to any situation. People adapt to wars and like terrible conflicts and they adapt to just really weird, wild, extreme situations. And we have this sort of Pollyanna syndrome of being able to find meaning and joy in those, in those scenarios. I mean, there's that amazing mm -hmm. book. Is it Victor Frankl who wrote Man's Search for Meaning about people, yep. you know, meaningfulness in Holocaust survivors and, and people living through concentration camps. Like it's an incredible thing about humans that we can do that. But the flip side is, does that make us more accepting of things that shouldn't be normal? Like we're not, we shouldn't be ready to let go of the concept of cities, maybe because cities are fucking mm. great. Hugs are amazing. So it's kind yeah. of like that thing of like, you know, when someone breaks up with you and you're like, well, you know what? I didn't love you anyway. Fuck you. That's what we're doing <laughs> right now with the cities. We're like, you know what? Well, cities yeah, and. <laughs> And when you break up, you try and you try and justify it. You're like, oh yeah, you know, he's he stank and he was a liar too. And um, <laughs> you know, now it's like cities are full of poop and yeah. uh, they stink and yeah. there are too many people. And actually, it was crap. And that, and so that's why I moved, not because I yeah. was compelled to by unforeseen forces. Totally. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Totally. The sun's in a cold period, Sammy. The what? The sun is in a cold period. Yeah, I was just thinking about unforeseen uh, outcomes as well or unexpected yeah. outcomes because that's kind of what you're saying as well is um, like we're not always sure where it's going, you know? Yeah. Like when we move in a new direction, you're like, I th I'm doing it because of this, I think, mm -hmm. and it's going to be like this, I think. And then it turns out that, you know, when you dig a little bit deeper, you were actually doing it for other reasons and it didn't turn mm -hmm. out the way you thought it would. Mm -hmm. Um 
And this morning I was reading on Google News about this cold period the sun's going into. And the last time this happened was in the 17th century. Like the sun becomes less active. Like it's a cycle of every certain amount of time. Like the sun just, you know, chills the fuck out for a while. And the last time this happened, we had a mini ice age in like the 17th century. Um, And we're going into another phase like this, except we're not going to have an ice age because of global warming. Jeez. What? Okay, and it's like, the sun is going into a dark phase. I was like, what the fuck? That sounds like astrology. It sounds like Mercury is in retrograde is what it sounded like you were saying. But you mean like the actual sun is actually getting colder? It's, like the real it's cold, sun, not I, a metaphorical sun. I just want to be clear. <laughs> so I don't, this is not, to be clear, this is not something I, I know a lot about, but it's referred to as uh, hibernation, this, a solar cycle called hibernation, what? where the sun is just less active. Like, you know, it's spitting out less plasma and gases and, the, you know, the corona activity. I don't know anything about the sun, Sam. I know it's freaking hot. <laughs> Simon- and that scientists are saying it's going to cool down a bit now. But Every this is not. I think I have reached my peak understanding of how fucking weird the world is. I, science is like no it's even weirder like the the universe is crazy it's batshit the sun's gonna yeah go but it, now. <laughs> it also got me to thinking that um you know like we're worried about what society might look like post-pandemic mm. but you know like next week there there could be a little plasma ball spat away by our beloved sun that just you know exterminates life on the planet and sterilizes it yeah and you know that that could happen. Yeah. Who even knows? I, the best Just thing why I we have to live for today, Sam. <laughs> um, the best thing I've been reading recently is this incredible long essay, short book, one of the two, by Susan Sontag that she wrote, I think in like the, I don't know, a long, long, long time ago, uh, called Illness as Metaphor. And she writes mostly about TB and cancer. Um, and how humans just have this real desire to turn illnesses into these moral, moral things to moralize disease. So oh yeah, you know, when TB was a thing, it was the disease of poverty and, but it was also kind of a little bit romantic because you'd waste away. And there was totally this idea that you got TB if you know, you just were too sensitive in your in your soul. And people just kind of loaded a whole bunch of meanings onto, you know, what the meaning of that illness is. And, you know, people get it who, when you are a certain way. And then the same thing happened with cancer. And there was like this big narrative mm. around deservingness of cancer and the lifestyle choices you make, which lead to cancer. And all, you know, she writes just well about how the, the the really fucked thing about disease is that it has no meaning. It it isn't you don't deserve it or not deserve it. It just happens to you. It isn't actually so out of your control. And we want to give it moral meaning because we want it to make sense, but it just doesn't. You know, like mm. illness is just this external crazy chaos, chaotic force. And, you know, and this is why we moralize things like STDs or STIs, right? This is why we moralize HIV because mm. that would make it safe for us, you know? And I think people are moralizing COVID, you know, people, I, there's so much anger I've seen where people feel like, you know, they're doing, other people around them are doing risky things and, um, 
I don't know. It just it it's it does feel to some extent like trying to impose meaning on something that just resists it. Which describes most of life, right? Yeah. But like the other the other thing I hate about the dialogue around disease is uh the war metaphors. You know, it's like yeah. he lost the fight or she's battling this uh mm. you know, as if it's some external force that, you know, you're either strong enough to fight or oh you were too weak, sorry, you lost the battle. Yeah. It's like, you know, playing into what you're saying about blaming the victim trying to find some reason why they deserved it so that you can tell yourself you're a better person and it won't happen to you. Yeah. Um, but I've always hated that language. You know, when I had a very close friend who passed away from brain cancer a few years ago mm. and nothing about it looked like an epic struggle between good and evil. Yeah. It was just a fucked up thing that was happening to his own body by itself. Yeah. Um, that was entirely entirely random he was a good person who had never harmed anybody vegan fit like healthy didn't smoke did nothing wrong in inverted commas yeah and yet like you know his brain decided to grow a mess the size of a cricket ball that there had been one like it in the last like mm. 10 years and doctors had no idea what to do with yeah um and it's just like the dialogue around it is completely messed up but that's human nature, right? Like life is a struggle against entropy and our ability to make up a story about how it's all okay. Absolutely. What a weird Sam, Simon. <laughs> yes. I I have Googled this thing happening to our son. It's a regular 11-year interval that includes energetic peaks of activity followed by low points. During the peak, the sun showcases more sunspots and solar flares. It's like dancing around up there. And then in a solar minimum, the sun is much quieter, meaning less sunspots and energy. So the sun's like, whew, that was cool, but I, you know, I need a recovery day. And then care time. Yeah. Yeah. The last time this occurred was between 1650 and 1715, during what's known as the Little Ice Age in Earth's northern hemisphere. Um, but that's probably not gonna happen this time because of our fuckery with airplanes and uh, other things. And so now the world is warm enough to not have an ice age. I'll say it again. The universe is crazy. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy place, Sam. It's so crazy. It's endlessly it surprising so and interesting to me, and I'm very happy to be in it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Do you want to tell me about stuff you found recently that you love? I always mm -hmm. hate when I hit the conversation in this direction because I know you're going to ask me the same thing. Uh, like, exactly. you know, I'm the most uh, boring person alive, but no. <laughs> I have recently in the kind of rough uh, thing of productivity, which is ostensibly the theme of these conversations, um, I've been playing with a new piece of writing software. Don't judge me. I know you tease me because I have 75 of them. Uh, this is the one true one. This, unlike all the others, I've said this about, I think this is the one true writing software. It's called Highland mm -hmm. 2. Um, and it is wonderful because it is Markdown specifically designed for screenwriting. So it does all the really good things that Markdown does where it lets you build in your kind of hierarchy of what the text is and then it's really exportable. So you can export it into kind of anything, but it keeps it really pure, which I really, really love. Oh, so the, the language is called something else. I can't remember, but Highland 2 is a, a writing app built on that screenwriting language, which is kind of markdown-y. Um, and I love it. Highland 2. Highland 2. Okay. I've been returning to IA Writer again, just because of its cross-platform compatibility. Ooh, 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 such good words. That's what the Monotron has to say about it. Um, 
So my thing I've found recently that I want to play with, but I can't yet is Microsoft's Fluid. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've seen this. I saw you posted so, it. Tell me about it. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because they it's something they're doing on office.com, but they're also going open source with it. And they basically looked at documents as a thing you make on your computers from like first principles mm-hmm. and gone, you know, it's kind of weird that you have Excel for spreadsheets and you have Word for writing and you have PowerPoint for making slides. And mm. and instead what they did was they were like, well, what are the things you're doing with, you know, documents in these various apps? You're essentially creating these blocks of information, be it a graph over here or a to-do list over there or a communication over there. And so now what they've come up with is this framework where you basically have like Lego blocks for documents. So in a very modular way, you can say, okay, well, I need a spreadsheet in this part and I need a to-do list over here. But these modules are then live and collaboration stays with them no matter where they go. So you and I could collaborate on a to-do list. Then I could put the do list into a fluid document. And then if you updated it later, it would be updated in the document whenever I look at it, which is like a crazy idea, especially when they start mocking it up in the email sense. So Ah. some of the videos they put online have this like in Outlook. So I've sent you an email with one of these modules in the body, but I can then carry on updating the module after I've sent it to you and it'll still be in the body of the email when you look at it. Huh? I don't know. It's a crazy idea, but I like it. That's wild. Is it is it live or is it a, like a... No. It, it's not live yet, but Microsoft feels so strongly about it that they're open sourcing it because, you know, they want to see this embraced by everyone. Huh. Um which is, you know, blow, still blows young me's mind when I was an open source renegade fighting against Microsoft's FUD. Um, you were a little cyberpunk. <laughs> but uh, but I can't wait to play with this. It's a it's a big idea. Oh, that sounds cool as heck. Yeah, I'm surprised I'm still it. when Microsoft does something cool, but they 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 do sometimes do pretty cool things. It's one of it's probably my favorite story of like how there is hope for big companies and corporates. We which mm-hmm. intuitively I've always believed are incapable of innovation and and I still believe that because yeah. they're incentivized against it. Yeah. But but you know, every now and then there's an anomaly like Microsoft who with the right leader has just managed to go from this single uncoolest company in the world to now probably, you know, out innovating 90% of its rivals um, and building stuff I actually want. Pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know, life in the upside down, Sam. It's a crazy time, Simon. Universe is wild. Okay. Like I was watching I was watching the Twitter interaction with Elon Musk uh, advising people to take the red pill and Ivanka <laughs> Trump saying she had taken it already and then Lily Wachowski saying, fuck you both. And I was like, can you imagine like going back to 1999 when I just walked out of the theater having seen The Matrix um, when Elon Musk was some balding dude who was working at PayPal and Ivanka Trump was the daughter of like somebody who was basically a circus clown for a living and explaining this to me back then. Firstly, who Lily Wachowski is. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> who Ivanka Trump now is in uh, relation to Elon Musk and what this thing is that they're advising. Uh, I was like, life in the upside down is wild, Sam. Dude, just wild. 
Should we leave it there? Because I don't think I can handle any more insanity in about the universe, any more realizations of its of its crazy ways. <laughs> fine, Sam. <laughs> That's fine. 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 Thank you.